Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Kevin Kelts. I'm going to be closing a, a series, wrapping up a series that we've been going through called Faith Full. Everybody say Faith Full. One more time, faith full. And so what we've been doing is going through this series and just talking about what it looks like to have faith, what it looks like we've all had those people that we've, we've, our lives have crossed paths with and we've said, man, that person is full of faith. I'm challenged by their faith. I wish I had their faith. And we're like, man, how do you get that? How do you get that type of faith? That's what we've been talking about in this series. We, we've we been going through and studying um, Jesus's life for, for months and months and months. But part of what we found out is that Jesus had an agenda for the followers of him and his his kingdom and where they were going. And one of those agendas is that these men and women would have big, bold, active faith, active faith. And, and the way that he started getting people to join the cause is for each one of the people that he came into, he gave them an invitation And the invitation wasn't just to believe in me, but what he would say is he would say, stop doing what you're doing and follow me. Following requires action. Following is way harder than just believing, believing in. You know, that was Jesus's original invitation was to change your life and follow me. Somewhere along the way, though, the church came along, and we dumbed that down. We made it way easier, and we changed it into just believe in me, because that's easier. That's safer. That's less the demanding, because there's no change. What do you believe? You could do anything, live any way, but when I ask you, what do you believe? You could say, well, yeah, I believe the question. Jesus did say at certain times, do you believe? But ultimately, his call was to follow, was to be a person that has an active faith. And we've been going through this series and and finding that there's a reason that so many people in the world today have who, who call themselves followers or call themselves believers or Christians have such a weak faith, and it's because faith is a muscle. And if you don't exercise by taking actions, right? By stepping out of your comfort zone, doing something different, by following. What happens is that faith muscle becomes weak. It becomes fragile. It becomes frail. See, Jesus never invited people to simply believe true things about him. He invited us to follow him, to wake up every single day and ask this question, what would I do if I was confident that God was with me? right? What would I do? How I would, would I respond? What would my attempt, if I knew that God was with me? We've also been asking what then, though, facilitates over the course of time, what fuels and facilitates the development of these people that we look at where we're like, they're faithful, they're full of faith. Like, how do you get to that level? How do you become a person that's like that? I mean, because if you've ever seen a person that you look up to and they become like a hero, they become a person of great faith to you, you see that great faith, you want it, right? You, you're like, man, I, I want that. You, you look at the situation or the circumstance that that person is going through, and that's what challenges you because you're like, I don't know if my faith could carry me through or my faith would sustain me or I could stand on such solid ground and my faith in Jesus like they are going through what they're going through. And that is what challenges us. That is where we start to ask the question, how do you get that type of faith? 
What are the essential ingredients for that type of faith? And based on talking to lots I've had over, over years and based upon Jesus's teaching, his life, we're convinced that there are five things that grow our faith, that make our faith grow, that blow up our faith. There are more, but we're sure there's at least these five. So what we're going to do is very quickly, before I get to the fifth and, and finalize, I'm going to just jump over those very quickly and remind you of what those were. The first one was practical teaching practical teaching. When these people that we look at and we're like, man, you have such great faith. Tell me your story. When they tell their story, there's always a part of their story where they go, well, you know what? There was a day when everything changed when all of the things that I had believed and thought I believed Somebody came into my life. I started going to a church or I started going to a Bible study or I read this book, right? I met this person and they started to give me practical teaching to connect the dots to this isn't just what you believe, but this is what it looks like to live it out, to have active faith. And they say, that's it. It was that practical teaching. The second thing was personal ministry. People talk about when they tell the nudge from God. I don't know how to my life, man, that... I felt a nudge from God. I don't know how to explain it to you, but I just felt compelled to step out and to do something where I was serving other people, where I was now being in a role where God was using me to touch somebody else's life. Maybe it was a missions trip, or maybe it was leading a home group at church, or maybe you got involved with a nonprofit organization that were helping people that, that were homeless or people that needed to be fed. And all of a sudden, what happens is when people tell their story, they, they'll tell the story and they're like, and here's the thing, man, I just didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel like I had what it took to be able to even do this. I didn't feel like I knew enough. I didn't feel like I was prepared for it. But something inside of me just said, just take a risk. Just do it anyway. God's calling you to do it. And I did it, man. And now when I look back on it, I can't tell you how much my faith grew, why I was doing something that I wasn't comfortable with. But now I see that that was something that made my faith grow. The, the third one is, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is providential relationships. This is something else that grows your faith. Inevitably, these people that tell their faith story, they'll say, there was a time and it was super awesome because a person came into my life. It's like God just dropped this amazing person at the right place at the right time into my life. And through that relationship, through that providential relationship, all of a sudden my face started to grow, right? The next one is private disciplines. Pastor Jared talked about this last week, or private spiritual disciplines. It's, it's inevitably people telling their faith story will say this. There just came a point when I started to have this, this, this uh, private discipline where I started to read my Bible consistently, or I started to do a daily devotional. Or, you know what, I'd, for the first time in my life, I just stepped out in faith and started giving financially. I just, I felt challenged by God to take, you know what, this is what you need to give, this is what you need to give consistently, and I just started doing those private disciplines. You know what, they started out as ought to's, like, I know I ought to do this. But they turned into want-tos. When people tell their story, their faith story, they say, when I started doing those things consistently, I exercised my faith muscle by doing that daily. It was a daily workout. It was all of a sudden I started to use this faith muscle that I hadn't used in this area before. And guess what it did? It made my faith full. All of a sudden my faith started to grow, which brings us to what we're going to jump in today our fifth and final catalyst, number five, if you're taking notes, write this down or take a picture, pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. When people tell their faith story, people talk about something that happened. Sometimes it's really good. Man, this pivotal circumstance happened and it was awesome. 
right? Man, I got married and it was unbelievable. Lisa and I just celebrated 22 years. We've been married for 22, 22 years ago. I got married and it was awesome. And you know what? For the first time in my life, I started to think, there's something out there bigger than me. I'm not just living for myself anymore. And I need to be responsible. I need to grow up. I need to start to exercise this muscle called faith. And I started doing that. And that was a good thing, right? Uh, another good thing. I can remember when our first child was born, when my, my, my daughter, Caitlin, who is about to be 20 years old, okay? And I remember when she was first born, and I remember holding her, and my life changed. It was a pivotal circumstance. And I looked at her, and I thought, I see God differently all of a sudden. Like, if I could ever understand that my Father God loves me as much as I just love this little baby, I don't know how I love her this much, but I do, and I would do anything for her. I remember thinking, if I could just get it into my head that God loves me that much, sir, my life would be forever changed. It was a good, pivotal circumstance in my life. And a lot of times when people tell their faith story, they're like, and that blew up my faith. It started to make me think bigger. I, that good circumstance created a place in my heart of openness for God. And all of a sudden, my faith grew a pivotal circumstance. There's positive events that come along and they blow people's faith up and they're in a good way. But also, guess what? There's also negative circumstances, negative experiences. I'm talking about the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, the loss of a marriage, the loss of future, the loss of health or a career. Suddenly, you find yourself, everything stops, right? I'm talking about a pivotal circumstance. And for the first time in a long time, you start to ask questions like, is there even a God? What in the hell is going on in my life right now? Right? Have you guys ever been in this situation? You may be here today and thinking, that's me. You may be watching today on Facebook and you're in the middle of a pivotal circumstance and you're like, I need something. I don't know what to do. I'm not even sure what something is. I'm not even sure, Pastor Kevin, if there is any something out there, but something is happening for the first time in a long time. You find yourself open and you're a little bit nervous about it, right? And you're really nervous that Pastor Kevin is talking about it today, right? You're like, whoa. You see, for somebody today, this may be a defining moment, not because the sermon's so good, but because of what you're going through right now and what we're about to talk about today because what happened is you were fine and then all of a sudden you weren't because of a pivotal circumstance, right? You you were, were good, and then all of a sudden you weren't. And you're facing that pivotal circumstance. The truth is, we're fine without until we're not. And that's when all of a sudden that faith flickers back to life. Now, before I go any further and talking about pivotal, pivotal circumstances, good and bad, right? I just talked about they can be good and bad. Before we go any further and talk about this, I do want to address a misconception that people have, and it's not just about pivotal circumstances. Um, this will be something that I'll share with you. It's part of my journey, uh, but it, had, it, it, it came down to the, the nuts and bolts of my theology that I was taught growing up as a kid. And this is, this is the idea. This is what I want to address, and it's much more bigger than this, and we'll jump into it. But please hear me today. It's not God that causes 
these good or bad pivotal circumstances to happen in your life. That's the truth, but that's not what I was taught growing up, okay? Because I grew up believing that God caused everything to happen, that God had a plan and that everything that in earth, on earth, in your life that happened had a purpose, whether you understood it or not, that's just the way that it was. See, I ble- grew up believing uh, the people that, with all their best intentions, taught me that God is in control. That's what they would say. And they always said it like uh, something trying to give me peace. Hey, it's okay, because God's in control. And when they said it, it gave me peace. Because I was facing a pivotal circumstance. And I'd be like, okay, well, he's good. And he's a good, good God. And he's a good, good father. And that just gives me peace. So thank you for telling me that. See, the belief that God is in control, it comes from a word in the Bible that's used to describe God. And that word, if you're taking notes, write this down, is sovereign. And this is a word that is used to describe God several times throughout the scripture. And the word sovereign, it it simply just means this. It means all reigning and all ruling. Do we believe that God the Father, the creator of all things, is all reigning and all ruling? Yes, we do. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that with all of my heart. The problem, though, comes where people added to that word and taught me a theology about God. And that word that they added to it is absolute. And they would say this, Kevin, we believe in absolute sovereignty. So what that means is, they would tell me, is that God is in control. And he is not just in control, Kevin, but he is absolutely in control of everything. And so the positive side of that idea is that we can lean on God's sovereignty and we can say, well, I believe that everything's just going to work out, brother. And that brought me peace. Yes, everything is going to work out, brother. Why? Because God's in control. He's not just sovereign. He's absolute sovereign. I believe in absolute sovereignty. Everything's going to work out because God has a purpose behind everything, brother. And that is what I always heard growing up, and it always seemed very positive. It's something that latched onto me. And I couldn't even tell you that it was a fundamental truth that I believed, but I believed because the way that I lived my life out of that statement. And so every time tragedy would occur, people in my church would say, hey, Kevin, don't worry. What? Why don't we worry right now? See, huge tragedy. They said, good God's in control. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, God is in control. And that was supposed to bring me comfort in difficult times. Like when a bunch of kids got shot. Children were murdered in Columbine, Colorado. And I said, what's going on? And they go, don't worry. Why? Why don't I need to worry about going to, to school and, and, and maybe somebody might murder me there? Because God's in control. That didn't bring me peace. So God was in control? He was in control? He has a purpose behind murdering children? That doesn't sound like a good, good father to me. Because I'm a good father. <laughs> I have four kids. And at no point to teach them a lesson would I murder another child. And I'm not even close to sovereign. I'm not even close to the creator of all things, God. And that's me. That's what I would do. I mean, they would tell me, you know, when tragedy happened, Hurricane Katrina hit, and over a thousand people, men, women, and children, young and old, lost their lives. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. This is scary. And they'd say, hey, don't worry. God's in control. And me, a little toot, would say, well, you know what? He's doing a lousy job then. That's what I thought. 
That's what I would say. I could do a better job than him. If he's in control of everything and he's killing children, he's killing men, women, and babies, why? Why? Well, you know what? It's just God murks in mysterious ways. Have you ever heard that one before? This is very mysterious, brother. Well, Kevin, his, what you're saying, wow. What you're saying, it didn't make sense to me. And they would say, well, all I know is everything happens for a reason. These are church cliches that are not true. There's no truth and validity to them. I remember thinking, what's the reason? And they would say, well, you know, there's lots of sin down there, brother. You know, God brings in hurricanes and he judges sin. You know what? You need to know what side that you're on. You need to choose this day whom you're going to serve, brother. So that's what God did. And then I, I, then I started learning about covenants, and I was like, so we're still in the old covenant then? That's what you're saying? So we're saying that the cross is null and void. What Jesus did doesn't even matter. There's no finished work. There's no grace. You're just saying that he's almost double-minded? That's what you're telling me? And when I really started to think about this and ask these questions, I thought, this doesn't make sense. This is just what you told me because you never really studied it for yourself and you're trying to make me feel better about these things. But in a way, what you're doing with great intention is teaching me that God is a child abuser. He's a rapist. He does, he's in control of everything and all these bad things are happening in the world because if you believe in absolute sovereignty, then he has a plan, he has a preordained purpose and everything that happens in this world was a part of that preordained plan and it happened for a reason that's higher than what you can understand. Which is why a lot of people that are non-Christians don't want to have anything to do with that God. And guess what? That God doesn't exist. It's a lie. Me looking at my first baby and going, I would do anything for her. He created all of us and thinks that way about all of us. Not just when it's good, especially when it's bad. Right? And so I started to really look and study these things. And a major problem with this belief I found, if God is in control of absolutely everything, then when something horrible happens, God's in control of that. And you end up with this warped and wrong perspective of who God is, and it affects you emotionally. It affects you mentally. It affects how you raise your kids. It affects how you're married. It affects how everything that you do, what you believe about the Father, now affects how you live your life. Does that make sense? And we get this warped vision of who he is when he's really not these things. And you have a perspective that you see that not only is he the God that blesses and provides and takes care of and brings children into the world and heals and does all these great things, but he's also the God behind abortion and rape and murder and incest and genocide and wars and racism. He's the God of those things who makes those things happen. That makes no sense. And because he's absolute, so, absolutely sovereign, then everything is a part of his preordained plane that he saw from the timeless zone that you couldn't see. And that's a real problem because there are people who completely believe that way. And I can tell you today that through my journey and study and searching, I don't see this belief supported in Scripture at all. God is not absolutely in control of everything. And some of us that have believed that he is, when somebody says that, that freaks us out. Whoa. Listen, God is not in control, but he is in charge. I'll put that up on the screen for you. Please take a picture of it and think about it for a while. God are, are, are similar, but, the, but he is in charge. The words are simple 
are, are, are similar, but the difference carries huge implications. But see, God is in charge. He is all powerful and he is sovereign and he has authority over the entire universe and everything in it. He is a king and he has a kingdom. However, that does not mean that he controls every situation and makes everything happen. In other words, if God is in charge, but not in control, then people have free will and are able to act against God's will or with God's will. Do you believe in free will or do you believe that you're a robot? That's preordained and whatever that you do, oh, that's just what you were going to do. When we treat a generation like that, nobody takes responsibility for anything. Right? Well, he's in control. He's in control of everything. That was preordained that I was going to do. You can just go and do anything that you want to and blame God. Right? But that's not how it is. God's not in control, but he is in charge. Because in this kingdom, guess what? He doesn't have pawns that he's moving. He has free will, human beings, his children, his ambassadors on this earth. And when things happen on this earth that are just life and are just horrible, guess what he does? He sends ambassadors like you and me who understand that we have a calling, that we have a responsibility to step into that situation and change that situation. Right? That's, that's taking on. If you believe that God is in control of everything, then you'll never take control of your life. You'll never be responsible for your marriage or your kids or your finances or what you're supposed to do in this world. And I believe with all of my heart that God does have a calling for you. You see, God is sovereign, which means he is a king and he has a kingdom. He's sitting on his throne and there's lots of things happening in his land. His kingdom is filled with his ambassadors. It's also filled with people that don't have a relationship with him. It's also filled with an enemy. And all of these have free will choice inside of his kingdom. Please remember that God is king of his kingdom and has ultimate authority. Yes, he does. He is sovereign. Yes, he is all powerful. But is he in control of everything? No, he's not causing everything to happen inside of his kingdom. He is not the in-control God. Come on, somebody. He is the in-charge God. We sing songs that quote scripture that say, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But the way some of us were raised is we should change the lyrics of that song is where the spirit of the Lord is, there is complete control and lack of freedom, right? There's no freedom. There's absolute sovereignty because freedom implies that you have an option, that you can make good choices because you're like your father in heaven. And he created you and he put in the faith inside of you, everything you need to do his will. And you can make that choice, but you can also make the choice to not to. And that's why school shootings happen. And that's why murder happens. Does that make sense? Praise God. Psalms 115 verse 16 says, the, heaven, the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to the humans. So take responsibility. Take responsibility for your life. You have a free will. Use that free will to do great things in this world. There has to come a point in your life where you realize that God needs you. He didn't need anything, but he decided to need you to do great things. That's awesome to me, right? And then when you get that in your head and you start to live that life, awesome things happen or really bad things happen, which means that God is not in control of every situation, every circumstance that happens. God doesn't give people cancer to teach them lessons, although that's what I was taught growing up. I remember we'd have prayer time, and sister so-and-so would raise her hand, y'all pray for me. And I remember her saying, I'm really sick, and I just need y'all to pray that I have 
knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of what I did wrong because God's trying to teach me something. And I want to learn it quickly. Because she believed in absolute sovereignty. But I believe in a good, good father. He's not in control, he's in charge, right? And so when we talk about pivotal circumstances, I bring it all the way back around. You need to know that God is not the one that's causing bad things to happen to you or even really good things to happen to you. Guess what? A lot of that is because of your own choices. Right? Amen? Do we take responsibility? Yes, we do. And sometimes life just happens. Right? It happens to all of us. Here's the thing, though. Here's what I want you to know is the pivotal circumstances that happen in your life, although it's not God that's causing them to happen, you need to understand that if you are going through and facing pivotal circumstances, then you are in good company. Because all of the people that you celebrate and that you look up to and you say, those people have great faith, the people from the New Testament, that we, the Peter and the Paul... The, the, the James and the Johns and the, the Peter and the Paul, and we look at them and we're like, man, those are great people of great faith. The only reason that we say that is because we saw how they went through pivotal circumstances. If you never knew the pivotal circumstance that you went through, you would not stand back in awe and say, I want to be like them. Does that make sense to you guys? So if you're in going through these things, it's not that God's causing them to try to teach you something. It's that they're happening to you and you need to embrace it because every great person goes through these things. Amen. So let's just talk about one of those guys. For example, James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, he became the leader of the first century church. And I won't go into full details, but basically what happened is he got framed for something. The powers that be that did not love like this new way that was going through, that Jesus taught, that was handed off to these people and that was now going forth, they did not like that. And so they gave him some trumped up charges. They took him out that they murdered him in public and it was lawful. That's a, horrible, that's a horrible circumstance to go through, right? Well, let's see what James says, the brother of Jesus, who was murdered because of his faith. Let's see what he said. And I'll put this up. You need to write this down on the screen. Trials are tests. This is something that James, would, he would say to us. This is something that you'll see in just a second. Trials are tests. He, he didn't just say that because God's, he didn't say that God causes trials to happen. He says that trials are tests. With gives the question then, what are they testing? What are these trials testing, right? Well, he answered that. It's in James chapter 1, verse 3. He answers the question. He says, you know that the testing, the testing of what, James? The testing of your faith. Trials are testing your faith. When you're going through that circumstance, that pivotal circumstance, guess what? Your faith is being tested. Your confidence in God is being tested. But James also finished, and he would say this. He says, you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. That's James chapter 1, verse 3. It produces perseverance. The testing of your faith, going through a faith test, okay, it produces enduring faith. It actually will make your faith bigger on the other side of that. That's why we're talking about it today in our faith full series. These things has the ability to cause your faith to grow, to blow up, for you to be strong in your faith. You see, when you meet a person who has big faith, big enduring faith, I promise you that you're talking to a person whose faith has been tested. Because guess what? A tiptoe through the tulips life does not create great faith. That creates spoiled people that don't take responsibility for anything. But the people that you look up to that have great faith, the only reason you look up to them is because you know the pivotal circumstance that they overcame. That's why you see, that's why you trust their faith. You see, we don't even know 
what we actually believe until we claim to believe what we claim to believe has been tested. That's why Jesus said, follow me and not believe in me, right? Your faith has to be tested. You see, it's one thing to believe. It's one thing to have this idea. Man, I believe in God. I believe that I'm an ambassador. I I do believe that, brother. It's another thing for that belief to be tested, for you to go through the test, right? On the other side of that, see, we're going to see in just a few minutes the reason perhaps your faith collapsed under pressure or the reason that you feel like your faith right now is currently collapsing under the weight of this pivotal circumstance in your life is because perhaps for the first time in a big way, your faith is being tested and you are discovering what you truly believe. I mean, that's how we've raised our kids. We're like, listen, mom and dad, this is what we believe, okay? And we want you to know that. We're going to live that out in front of you, right? But we tell them there has to come a day where you have to decide, do you believe the same thing? And it's going to be tested because it's not real until it's tested. You don't really believe what you believe until it's passed the test of faith because you see a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. Write that down, hashtag that, Put that out there today. We really, we really don't know what we believe, right? I mean, very simply, have any of y'all ever hated your job before? Oh, yeah. You believe you hate your job. Okay. Did you ever quit your job? Yeah, quit my job. Did you ever find a new job? Yeah, you find your new job. You believed at that old job that all jobs are better than this job. Did you ever have that faith tested at your new job and go, man, I wish I had that old job? Found out you really didn't believe what you believed, or you got to the new job and you're like, man, this is way better than that I just went through. Now you know what you really believe. Why? Because it was tested. Does that make sense? Yeah, we're going to go deeper into that. Like I already said, the greatest heroes of our faith that we read about went through and they faced pivotal circumstance. In fact, Peter was one of those guys. The apostle Peter, a lot of us, we look up to him. A lot of us feel like, man, I'm like that, that, that person. Well, there's a very famous story about him. Jesus is about to be arrested. So, It's all about to go down. He's been telling them it's coming. I'm going to be arrested. This stuff is going down. They don't want to hear that because they think that that Jesus needs to do it another way. He needs to be the savior of, of the Jews and he needs to do it politically. And so when he's talking about dying and not being around for a while, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. And he's, Jesus is trying to get this. And he follows at Peter and he says, Peter, listen, heads up. He says, son, look at me. Your faith is about to be tested. (laughs) You're about to go through a testing of faith in a really, really big way. Jesus looks at him and says, it's coming. Your faith, your confidence in me, all these things that you say, that you believe, it's about to be tested. I love what he says. It's recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. He looks at Peter and he says, and I have prayed for you that your faith, what you believe, and the test may not fail. And Peter is offended at Jesus and says back to him, Lord, don't you know me? (laughs) Don't you know me? I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus is like, okay, you say that, but there's a test coming to see if that's what you really believe and if you're going to follow me. Does this make sense to you guys? Okay, so what happens He believed Peter in his heart, in his mind, Lord, I'm ready, but his faith has not been tested. And guess what? A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So the huge, horrible obstacle of a little girl comes up to him and goes, hey, you're a Galilean. You're with Jesus. Wow, big test of faith, huh? What does he do? Uh Uh-uh. No, no. He had just told Jesus, I will die for you. I will go to the prison for you, sucker. And then what does he do? Y'all remember this story? Failure. And then another. No, 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 no. I seen him with him. I seen him with Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Curses, curses, curses. 
three times. Jesus said, you will deny me three times. He said, there's no way. He says, the test is coming. And I've prayed that your faith will not fail. Guess what happened? Failure. His faith did not pass the test. And then they actually crucified him. And Peter failed again. He ran to the city. All the disciples did. Their lives were turned upside down. After the resurrection, Jesus, <laughs> you know, he's resurrected. He appears to them. He calls them aside. Jesus is so awesome. He doesn't judge. Peter, I told you. I told you, you're horrible. Man, you're nothing. No. He restores him, right? And it's amazing. Jesus takes Peter, who failed all of the faith tests, right? Failure, failure, failure. And then puts him in charge of the whole enterprise. He goes, so you know what I've taught. You know what the kingdom's all about. Okay, Peter, you're going to do it. You're in charge. Doesn't make any sense. He's like, I'm leaving you in charge, Peter. Peter's like, but I failed all the tests. And Jesus is like, I, I know, but what you don't see is what I see. Because even in your failure of those tests, you went through the test and it has made your faith stronger. And you're still here, Peter. So guess what? Even though you failed those tests, you went through them. Through the test, even though you felt it, you know what you believe. Your faith has grown. I think you're ready. I'm putting you in charge. Then listen to this. So about two months later, what happens is Jesus is gone now. And Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. Okay? Check this out. Along the way, they saw this lame man who had been lame since birth. He'd never walked. He's begging, right? Guy's about 40 years old, we, we find out, which means that for 20, 25 years, he's had friends that go pick him up, take him outside the temple, set him down and, you know, they clean him up, make him look good, set him down in some nice shade, and they leave him to beg for money that day, food and money. And that's what this guy does. And so Peter and John are going to pray, and they see this dude. And they're like, Peter's like, a different man now. Because he has actions to his faith. He knows who his father is. He knows who Jesus is. He gets it. His faith has been tested. So he's like, you know what? We ain't got any money. We ain't got no food. Get up and walk. In Jesus' name. The dude stands up and walks. They're like, we're going to still go pray. He follows them. He's like, look, look what I can do. Look what I can do. I can walk. I haven't walked ever. This is amazing. The people, all of the people in that area, they would have seen him begging every day. They know him. They're seeing him and they're going, I can't believe this. This causes a ruckus. And guess what? At this point, everything is not daffodils and daisies. In fact, they're under great persecution. The people of the way, <clears throat> the followers of Christ are under great persecution because their leader is not here anymore. He is gone, and the people that are in charge of that area and in charge of Judaism still want to keep the temple worship going. They still want to do it the old covenant way. They hated everything that Jesus said. They've been trying to stomp this thing out. They actually killed him. He's not here anymore, so he's not going to protect these people. They're thinking, if we can find any of those people that are in charge, we're going to kill them. Well, guess what? Word gets back to those people. The high priests, the people that are the, the highest up <clears throat> of power in Israel, of, of Judaism. <clears throat> so they go and arrest Peter and, and, and John for just healing a guy. They're in prison. They're in jail all night. Call them in the morning, and they stand now. Uh, it's officially in front of men that have their lives in their hands because they kill people legally. They, they will take you out to the street and stone you if you don't answer like what we, wanna, we want you to answer. So get the picture. Now, Peter, who couldn't stand up to a 13-year-old girl. Peter, who has failed and failed and failed, 
goes now in front of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest. And basically, you can read the list of names. The very men who arrested Jesus, the very men who took Jesus to Pilate, the very men that convinced Pilate to crucify Jesus, Peter is now standing in front of those very same guys, these men whose number one priority is to stop this the way bull snot, right? No more of this. No more of this. And so Peter walks into another pivotal circumstance, another testing of his faith. And it's recorded in Acts chapter four, verse seven. They say, they look at Peter and they say, by what name did you do this? Because the dude's still dancing. Look what I can do, look what I can do. Like, how did this guy get healed? By what name did you do this? And they're trying to trap him. And he knows that they're trying to trap him. In this moment, Jesus, Peter does something that's so amazing. He goes from worst to first. This is one of the reasons that we're, we celebrate him as a hero of faith. Because Peter knows the writing's on the wall. He knows his life is on the line. And you know what he says? It's recorded. I'll put it up on the screen for you. In Acts chapter 4, verse 10, he says, It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Like, I don't even want, like, there's a lot of people named Jesus in this time. He's like, you need to know. Then he says, whom you crucified. What boldness. What great faith. Knowing this is probably going to cost him his life. Whom you crucified, whom God raised the dead. He tells them point blank. This is who I stand for. I represent Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let there be no mistake. And God raised him from the dead. And it's by that same name that this beggar now stands in front of you healed. And you know it ain't no joke because you've seen him for 40 years. You've seen him not be able to walk. And Jesus did this through me. When these men who crucified Jesus, the ones that hated Jesus, when they saw such great courage and confidence and his faith and this boldness, it's recorded in Acts chapter four, verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, why is that included? These guys never graduated from high school. They couldn't read or write. They're, they're nobodies from Galilee, right? They've never read the Torah. They don't have a Torah because they're poor people. If they even did have a piece of the Torah, they couldn't read it. How do they have such faith? They were amazed by the courage Right? Where do these guys get this confidence? Where do they get the courage? Not only are they standing here today, but they are boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, Acts 4.13, and they were astonished. Look at, listen to this. Jay, listen to this, man. And they took note. These men had been with Jesus. What, what grade did Peter get on his faith test that day? An A plus. But he'd been flunking, guys. Right? F, F, F. Failure, failure, failure. A plus. What happened? Where did that come from? It's because tested faith is how you discover you've got real faith that you know what you know, what you believe. And as you faith each test, your faith gets stronger. And that as they come, which brings us back to the pivotal circumstances, good or bad as they come, which brings us back to the question, what makes the difference? I mean, why is it that some people 
can face pivotal circumstances, like negative ones, and still come out with bigger faith. And others, it like literally takes them the other direction. Like, why does that happen? Pastor Kev, well, I'm glad that you asked that question to me because I'm going to answer it. Here's why, and maybe this will help you nav- navigate your own faith journey. There's three things, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. The first one is what we believe, who we listen to, and how we frame it. People who lose faith due to negative or big life-changing circumstances in life generally have a somewhat defective or flawed faith to begin with. It's like what I told you. What do you believe? If you believe that God is absolutely sovereign and he's in control of everything, not only when you're being blessed, but even when your kid gets brain cancer and dies, he was in charge of that. And then you found out that your cousin's family, there is incest with a child, and then they murdered that child. Well, God was in control of that. And all of a sudden, because, and where now another person doesn't believe that way, they believe that God's not in control, but that he is in charge and that he didn't cause any of that foolishness to happen, but he did create somebody like me for such a time as this to now walk into this family, now face this loss because God's a God of love. Does that not change everything? What you believe, what do you believe? Because if you don't believe the right thing, It's why you have to have such a Jesus-centered faith. But if you don't believe the right thing, then when difficult things come, you will assume what is not true. You'll assume what's not true about God. You'll assume what's not true about the situation, right? I can't believe this happened. I can't believe God is making this happen to us. And what is he trying to teach us so we can hurry up and learn it, so we can get through this? That's a lie. That's not what's happening, right? And when you assume what's not true, then after that, you claim what is not promised. You now start to go searching throughout the Bible and you find yourself in the Old Testament and you find a bunch of promises that God made, not to you, but to a nation of Israel back in the Old Covenant. And you start to make these claims for yourself. Well, I claim this and I claim that. Just a little heads up, the one, the people in the Old Covenant, right? In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, were the people that when God loved these people, you look at their lives, they lived long lives. But when you see after Jesus left and these people that are living in the New Covenant, they were under great persecution and they lived short lives. Think about that. What do you believe? Right? What, what, what are you starting to see? Because different, it's different covenants, but it's the same God, same love, same plan, same salvation, same redemption. But if we aren't clear on what Jesus promised in the new covenant, then you start to get confused. This is why if you believe what is wrong, then guess what? Your faith, does, your faith doesn't grow. It starts to die. The second thing is you got to have the right people around you. It's what you listen to. It's who you listen to. That's the who. If we don't have people around us to contextualize our circumstance, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus and the disciples are walking. All of a sudden, they see a blind dude. Like, oh, pain and suffering. We know, we know what that means. They had a wrong belief. And they went, who, whose fault is it, Jesus. Because we, we, we believe that the only reason you go through pain and suffering is because sin, because God's in control. He's trying to teach everybody things. So was it his dad's sin or his mom's sin? Was it his sin that he's this way? Who are you listening to? Thank God they were walking with Jesus and they trusted him. Because you know what he said? That's not how it happens. It's not that way. He contextualized the pain and the suffering. He says, that's not, that's not how the kingdom works, guys. And all of a sudden, guess what? They were able to now not allow their faith to die, but their faith to grow. Oh, this is awesome. I am facing, right, this pivotal circumstance. And now I have somebody helping me to contextualize what's going on. And I'm not drawing wrong conclusions I'm believing the right things. There's a story, guys, that, that we, we have to come to the point 
where not only is it who you listen to, but how we frame it. And that's what Jesus did. What we believe about Jesus, who we listen to when we're going through difficult times and how we contextualize and frame our pain and our suffering, these are three things that generally make a difference between the difficulty that builds faith and the difficulty that challenges and undermines our faith. Because after all those three things, it's framed in a certain way. And you see it. You see it in a, in a, in a certain way, and that's why it's so important that we begin to see and we're mature enough as we go through things to have a God's, God's eye lens on what actually is going on, right? I think it's a great idea to just in your relationship with God on a daily basis to say, God, help me to see this as you see this, right? Let me hear your voice. Let me, help me contextualize what I'm going through. <clears throat> and like I said, and I'll close with this, these pivotal circumstances can be good or bad. And they can either grow your faith or decrease your faith. It's how you handle these pivotal circumstances. You know, I, I think about my life and how, you know, we've, we have faced pivotal circumstances. And like I was saying earlier, like when I married my wife, that was a good pivotal circumstance. And it grew my faith. When my children were born, that was a great pivotal circumstance that was used to grow my faith. And I started to take responsibility, exercise that faith muscle, move forward, right? Um, I've been in places where I've been at a job and I got promoted. And with that became more responsibility and more finances. And that was a good situation. And the way that I looked at it and the way that I handled that pivotal circumstance, it either decreased or increase my faith. And so many times it has increased my faith. You know, just here recently, the last year, Pastor Jared and I, or the last two years, we we stepped out in faith and we started a, a company. And with that company came so many new responsibilities, but so many more blessings financially. And it's a pivotal circumstance. And it's funny, we talk about the industry that we work in because we've seen people go into the same industry and it literally, they have the same opportunity, the same blessings come their way in a good way, but it destroys their life because they couldn't handle the responsibility of making money. But if this pivotal, good pivotal circumstance comes, and what you believe. Who are you listening to? How do you frame it? That's how you get to that place where you're celebrated as, man, this is a person of great faith. I look up to them. I've also been through pivotal circumstances that were tough. Like I say, you know, the birth of all four of our children were huge pivotal circumstances. But, you know, eight months into Kagan's life, they came and told us that, you know, he has a terminal disease. Nobody ever said those two words to me in that order about one of my kids. I didn't want to hear that. It was a pivotal circumstance. And I feel like at the first, on the surface, I made people think that I was passing the test. But inside, it was, it was really hard. And I feel like I was like Peter. There was a lot of failures that I was having. But I went through them. I faced them, right? Lisa and I, we faced those things together. And Kagan is such a blessing in our life. You know, 
It's how you, recently, you know, we got a phone call yesterday about a friend of ours. And really, more, more than a friend to Jared, like a son. who died at a young age. And, you know, leaves behind a family who loves him, young kids. It's a pivotal circumstance. It's one of those circumstances that it hits you hard like a freight train. And I'll tell you guys, it's normal to have big thoughts and to have open hearts and to question things. That's normal. As we go through this pivotal pivotal circumstance, it's so important what we believe. What we believe to be true. Who we listen to. How we frame it. So Jesus, he... gathers all of his disciples together one day. (laughs) And he doesn't come to them to claim that he is absolute sovereignty and that he's in control. But he comes to them with common I know going to face a lot of pivotal circumstances. He actually says this. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It sounds like a promise to me. <laughs> I know we love to claim promises, the promises of God. I'm not sure anybody has that one embroidered on a doily in their bathroom. I claim this promise. Jesus said, I'm going to have trouble. But he tells them, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And right before that, he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. So you're going to have trouble. But I've told you this so that as you go these things, you can have peace that in me, as you connect to me, as you believe what's right about me, as you have people that are speaking into you, helping you contextualize what's going on, as you frame this thing, you can have peace. And he says this, and I love this. He says, so take heart. It's another way of saying, trust me. Hey, have faith. Lean into me. And he says this, because I have overcome the world. As we face this pivotal circumstance, it's messy, it's ugly, it hurts. It hurts because we are like our father. And we love so much. But we're not alone. And I believe with all my heart that 
we carry his presence. And so we will face this pivotal circumstance together. would take responsibility for the things that we can control <laughs> and we'll see God's kingdom come we'll see his will be done on this earth together so I just ask you guys um, this week as you face your pivotal circumstances, please keep Pastor Jared and his family. So many of uh, our, our, our people here, our leaders here. This, this young man is a brother to them. Just keep Keep them all in your prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for a peace that we can find in you. And we thank you that You don't leave us alone that you don't even really to ask us to have faith when, without seeing that that's part of it but really when we look around and we see one another that you're you're in all of us and that you're working through us and it brings us peace so father as we face pivotal circumstances, the good ones and the bad ones. We thank you that we will face this test, not alone, but we'll face this test of our faith and that on the other side of these things, kingdom happens, faith is built, hope comes to life, joy is produced love. We find love. We find grace. We find mercy. <laughs> Patience. Self-control. Your kingdom is established on this earth. We thank you for that. And we just declare that this morning in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen.